Welcome to Obesity, a Disease, the official Obesity Medicine Association podcast exploring the many facets of the disease of obesity. In this episode, OMA Chief Science Officer Dr. Harold Bays leads an article review with an industry expert. Obesity, a Disease podcast is brought to you by the Obesity Medicine Association, the clinical leader in obesity medicine. Welcome. My name is uh, Dr. Harold Bays, Medical Director and President of the Louisville Metabolic and Atherosclerosis Research Center, located in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome to the Obesity Medicine Association podcast entitled Obesity, a Disease. Uh, in this series of podcasts, uh, we examine and discuss some of the latest articles uh, in obesity research and in the clinical science um, of the treatment of our patients with the obesity. And we are very fortunate to have with us here today, uh, Tiffany Lowe-Clayton. Uh, she is co-author of a recent clinical practice statement that was put out by the Obesity Medicine Association entitled Obesity, Diabetes Mellitus, and uh, Cardiometabolic Risk. And I think that's just so important uh, for clinicians and obviously very important for our patients. So before we get started, uh, Dr. Clayton, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what it is that you do? Absolutely. And hello, Harold. Thank you for having me. Um, so my name is, uh, yes, Dr. Tiffany Lowe Clayton. I am a board certified uh, family physician and also a, a diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine. I currently practice in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, my practice is largely focused on non-surgical uh, medical weight loss um, in patients. And I'm also an assistant professor and director of clinical education at Campbell University School of Osteopathic Medicine. So very happy to be here and have this important discussion discussion with you today. Uh, yes, and one of the other things I think people should know is um, you frequently served as um, a moderator for educational programs for the Obesity Medicine Association, and I, I think that's just so important uh, to have that uh, ability and that, and that skill to translate uh, clinical science into the clinical care of, uh, of uh, patients with uh, obesity. Uh, so, so let's just Let's just get right into it. Um, one of the things this article you know, it starts off and it talks about some of these newer therapies, which are so important because as we all know, that um, uh, particularly in, if you, if you look at uh, you know, semi-younger folks, uh, number one cause of death gonna be cancer, but as people get older, the number one cause of death is, is cardiovascular disease and obesity contributes to, to both of those. And, the Obesity Med Association's clinical practice statements uh, regarding these. Um, and in, in recent years, so I'm a, I'm a clinical trialist. I've been a principal investigator somewhere over 500 clinical trials and been doing this for over 30 years. And it's just remarkable uh, the, the efficacy and, and I would say the safety of the newer drugs that are being developed, like the uh, glucagon-like uh, peptide one receptor agonists. Uh, and I would even say the the um, the sodium glucose transporter two in, uh, inhibitors, the SGLT2 inhibitors, even though they're not uh, used for weight reduction, uh, but the improvement in cardiovascular disease outcomes with these, with these agents is just uh, really remarkable. And the ongoing cardiovascular uh, studies 
when, when we're evaluating specifically for obesity or the diabetes would, would include oral semaglutide in patients with the type 2 diabetes mellitus. So that's the sole trial. Semaglutide 2.4 uh, milligrams subcutaneous per week in patients with overweight and obesity, the SELECT trial. And then the tercepatide in patients with type 2 diabetes mellitus, that's the SURPASS cardiovascular outcome study. And the tercepatide in patients with obesity, and that's the SURMOUNT MMO uh, study. And then you add on that uh, the fact that, um, that a lot of folks are using metformin, which sort of questionable the, the uh, robustness of the data uh, in its reduction in cardiovascular disease. Uh, still, I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of people use metformin in patients with the obesity. So let's let's get. I got like uh, three specific questions here. Number one is, what is your your just overall sense as a clinician about this advent of the S uh, of the uh, GLP uh, receptor agonist, the glucagon one, uh, the glucagon like peptide one receptor agonist? What what is your sense about how this is, has impacted uh, treatment of patients with obesity? Well, I think it's a great question. Um, I, I, I agree with you that with over well over two thirds of Americans either dealing with um, having being overweight or having obesity, this is a major issue. And, and as you said earlier, we both know that as a person deals with obesity, it all it has a, a positive or direct correlation with uh, cardiovascular disease, which we know is um, the most common uh, reason for for death in, in patients. And so when we think about treatment, of being able to help patients who may have type two diabetes, and in particular, those patients who have obesity, it's, it's very important to be able to treat patients um, for, for both and to be able to ensure best outcomes for patients who both have type two diabetes and, and obesity. To that end, GLP-1s, have been uh, groundbreaking in the ability to do that. Um, GLP-1s, um, as the studies are coming out, and as we know more of the studies, we're seeing that the data is clear that, um, that you know, not only does it help to uh, improve a patient's glycemic control and their hemoglobin A1C, but that many of the uh, GLP-1 medications actually help patients achieve a moderate amount of weight loss. Now, as it relates to the trials that you mentioned, those are ongoing trials, and and um, you know the the hope is that we can get definitive um, explanations about it being being able to also improve cardiovascular um, risk outcomes as well. But I do believe that GLP-1s are phenomenal medications to be able to use in patients with type 2 diabetes and obesity, um, and also are medications that are, are here to stay. Um, yeah, I, I, would, I would certainly agree with that. Not only are they, they here to stay, but I, I think they're going to set the standard uh, for future anti-obesity drug therapy. I mean, you say that you know, when used for the diabetes, there's moderate weight reduction. But I would say when used for the obesity, particularly at the doses that are used for the obesity, uh, many of our patients are having pretty significant uh, reductions in body weight. Uh, there was a, a roundtable discussion put in that was published in Obesity Pillars, the, the journal of the uh, Obesity Medicine Association, where we talked about, you know, one of the unexpected challenges from these newer agents is some patients losing too much weight. And so, you know, how do you deal with that? Um, and because exactly what you said, because of the excitement 
uh, about these newer classes of drugs. Um, what I see is a great analogy, like back in the day when we were developing statins or some of the diabetes drugs or some of the, some of the blood pressure drugs. Um, as I say, for example, statins. At the beginning, people weren't sure if they really helped patients or if they were sufficiently safe, but now they're standards of care. Um, I'm wondering if that's where we're headed with the uh, GLP-1 receptor agonists. So just like statins are standards of care, do you foresee a day in, in clinical practice where um, if we do have favorable cardiovascular disease outcomes, that GLP-1 receptor agonists will become standards of care, just like we currently have uh, statins being acknowledged as standards of care? I can. I can actually see that. I mean, when we think about GLP-1s in particular, um, it has so many benefits because GLP-1 medications, we know that it works to, you know, delay gastric emptying and that it works to, uh, you know, improve a patient's um, hunger signals as it relates to obesity. And it can work as a very powerful um, anorexic uh, drug. But we also know that even as a um, endogenous uh, hormone, uh, you know, GLP-1s are very, very powerful. Many of the drugs that are being, um, or many of the, the medications, uh, GLP-1s that are being manufactured, have been very homologous to natural GLP-1. And so these medications um, are very effective at mimicking what goes on in our bodies. Um, and it also works as a, a dual agent. It, it works, uh, you know, in the gut, but that also works in the brain. And so it not only impacts uh, hunger, but it can also impact craving as well, which can really impact uh, patients' behaviors and behavior states. So with that being said, there's many benefits to GLP-1 medications, um, not just in uh, improving glycemic control and improving weight, but also benefits that we may not even necessarily know about at this time. And the more we begin to study them, the more I think we're going to see uh, the benefits of these medications and um, and you know their their benefit even in long term use. Uh, well, yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, it's again, it's just like when we were developing the the early days of the lipid drugs, the diabetes drugs, and the hypertension drugs, the bi the binary switch uh, that took place, you know, that that go no go uh, decision uh, was largely based upon when these prior lipid treatments and diabetes treatments and hypertension treatments went from improving, you know, metabolic parameters to reducing cardiovascular disease outcomes. So just as you said, if the ongoing cardiovascular disease outcomes studies demonstrate benefits, then I, I agree with you completely. I mean, I think these drugs go from, from being recommended to, you know, just recommended to, to standards of care. And, 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 and pushing that a little bit uh, further, um, look, uh, metformin's been a mainstay of treatment uh, for diabetes mellitus, particularly treatment of type 2 diabetes mellitus in, in, in patients with overweight and obesity. Um, I think there's a divergence of opinion of the robustness of the data showing that they reduce uh, cardiovascular disease events. I happen to think metformin is still a you know, really good treatment, although, like I said, you hear other people say that the evidence is just is sort of sketchy. Okay? It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. It's just that the, the proof that metformin definitively and substantially reduces cardiovascular disease outcomes is not near as compelling as the, with the 
uh, GLP-1 receptor agonists and such. So, so what, what is your sense? Uh, what is your sense about what, what is the role of metformin nowadays in clinical practice? Well, I think metformin is a uh, medication that has been around for, for many years, and we know that overall it's a very safe and efficacious medication, especially when we're talking about patients who may either have prediabetes and or diabetes. Um, and I think in those patients that have uh, prediabetes or diabetes, metformin is still very uh, useful, and it's still a medication that we certainly need to have on board as long as the patient is able to tolerate the medication um, without any of the adverse side effects that I think we're all well aware of um, and able to, to utilize the metformin along with the GLP-1 medications or SGLT-2 inhibitors or, or any of the other medications that we're using for, using for glycemic control and, um, and, and, and even in patients who may not necessarily have diabetes, but who may have um, obesity, um, to be able to use it in addition to other medications that are already approved for weight loss, um, as uh, metformin um, has been shown to have some modest um, impact on, on weight. Um, I think that it's a very viable medication, and I do believe that it's still very useful, and I use it in many of my patients, um, along with some of the other medications that I may use uh, for, for obesity treatment as well. And one of the um, special benefits of metformin is it's available, right? Yes. <laughs> so I, I don't want to get uh, you know too much into this and everything, but uh, again, because this 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 new era has just taken off, and and I would say in unexpected ways, um, what sort of advice can you give clinicians out there for patients who are having a hard time? getting access, I mean, beyond the ability to afford it, sometimes it's just not even available. I mean, how, how do you deal with that in clinical practice? Yes, this is a big thing that we're seeing right now uh, in clinics all across America. I, I I know that this is a big issue, and 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 it's 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 a challenge, but it also speaks to the effectiveness of GLP one medications in particular. Um, they just work, and so it speaks to the fact that many patients are wanting to be healthier, are uh, patients who deal with um, ob having obesity over a long period of time, are wanting something that that's works, that's effective, that's safe, and and that they um, can can help them lose weight and improve other you know health outcomes as well, such as um, type two diabetes or pre diabetes, um, and so you know, what we're seeing is a lot of providers are utilizing these medications. Now, we know that there are certain medications um, that have been indicated for obesity treatment specifically, um, and then other medications are still mainly used for um, patients who have diabetes, but we're seeing a lot of off-label use of those medications that have not yet been approved for obesity in, in obesity treatment. And that's where you're seeing a lot of the supply issues and, and reasons why um, many patients are having um, demand. What I would say to that is, and especially to providers, is to just you know keep in mind that we wanna make sure that we are using uh, medications as much as possible um, based on their indication. So if a patient has a risk factor um, for diabetes, but not yet diabetic, um, you know, you may want to stick with the medications that are approved for obesity. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, for obesity. Um, you may want to stick with those medications that are approved for obesity, not just because, um, you know, it may be a shortage in supply for other patients who may actually have diabetes, who need those medications and can't get them because they're not available, but also because we're seeing many insurance 
insurance companies who are no longer covering uh, the medications if a patient is not uh, diabetic. And so what we don't want to do is start a patient on a medication and then not have them be able to continue the medication because we know that once these medications are stopped for many patients, they may have weight regain, um, which may not just impact them physically, but may also impact them emotionally um, and mentally as well. Um, if a patient um, is indicated in patients and they do have diabetes and obesity as well, then certainly by all means, try to get the medication. Um, but, you know, Harold, to your point, it can be a challenge, especially um, in some places where the supply is not, you know, not abundant from the beginning. And, and that becomes a, a particular challenge if you're going to treat obesity as a disease, which I think you agree is what we should be doing. Absolutely. And I don't know anybody that says, uh, okay, you need to be on a statin or you need to be on some sort of blood pressure medication or whatever, and, and we're going to prescribe it. But once your lipids get under control and once your blood pressure gets under control, even if nothing else changes, well, we're going to stop those drugs because your lipids are where they need to be and your blood pressure needs is where it needs to be. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, the only reason mm -hmm. that you've been able to achieve those metrics is through the use of drug therapy. That's what it's for. So I think there's an increasing recognition that, uh, that just as with uh, diabetes mellitus, hypertension, dyslipidemia, obesity is every bit as much a disease that requires chronic therapy. And, and to that point, um, look, I know we mainly talked about GLP-1 receptor agonists because those are the ones that are mainly being developed for, for the obesity, but the STLT2 inhibitors, you know, are really also quite remarkable for treatment of the type 2 diabetes mellitus. And the way I look at it is, if you have a patient with the type 2 diabetes mellitus, if they have congestive cardiomyopathy, boy, it's it's hard, it's hard uh, not to consider STLT2 inhibitors in such a patient for the treatment of the diabetes mellitus, right? And I think as as you know, there are a lot of studies showing that even without diabetes mellitus, SGLT2 inhibitors going to help out with patients with, with heart failure. Um, so, so I understand how GLP-1 receptor agonists is going to get front-loaded in patients with the overweight and the obesity and such. But I mean, what would you say to the clinicians out there about uh, the potential use of SGLT2 inhibitors? Yes, there's some mild weight loss and such, but they're really not, they're really not weight reduction medications, right? They're not anti-obesity medications um, in the way that the GLP-1 receptor agonists are, but my goodness, I think they still have a place, right? I think they, they have a place in our in our patients with the with the type 2 diabetes mellitus who have the overweight and obesity. I mean, what, what's your sense about that? I agree. I agree that there's definitely a, a place for them. And, and we know that the cardiovascular risk benefits um, are, are improved uh, in patients who use SGLT2 inhibitors. Um, and I, I think when it comes to which medication you're going to use, it's really about thinking about what are you treating? What are you trying to treat? And what is the outcome or, or the objective that you're trying to get out of the medication? If a patient has um, a moderate amount of weight that you're trying to help them to lose, then GLP-1s would be the way to go because we know that SGLT2 inhibitors, um, you know, although they can give, 
you know, weight loss, the weight loss is going to be more modest. Um, but if you're thinking about, you know, treatment of type two diabetes, and in particular in patients who have, um, uh, you know, coronary uh, vascular disease, um, then I think both of these medications are going to be very effective. And so I think you just need to really look at what, what are you treating? What are the objectives that you're trying to treat? And I think that'll help, um, you know, providers be able to make the best decisions for their patients. Thank you so much, Dr. Clayton. This has been extraordinary. Um, I think this is a, a, a pretty good overview of uh, many of the uh, topics that were covered uh, in this clinical practice statement put out by the Obesity Medicine Association. So again, I, I thank you. And I want to thank you, the listener. You've been listening to Obesity, a Disease, a uh, podcast put out by the Obesity Medicine Association. Thank you for listening to this episode of Obesity, a Disease. For more information about obesity medicine podcasts and other valuable resources from the clinical leaders in obesity medicine, please visit www.obesitymedicine.org backslash podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode and want to listen regularly, head over to iTunes where you can subscribe, rate, and leave us a much appreciated review. The views expressed in this episode are those of the host and guest and do not necessarily represent the opinions, beliefs, or policies of the Obesity Medicine Association or its members. Please join us again for our next episode of Obesity, a Disease.